back. Um, I will say I'm not used to this 8 o'clock service. Um, it's a little early, um, but it's okay. I, I remember when I was in high school, I came to the 8.30 service, and I was usually pulling the parking lot at about 8.27, which is right now. So um, I usually cut it close, but it's good to be here early with you all this morning. Um, yeah, so Hebrews 12, that's where we're going to be today, um, verses 1 and 2. So we're going to go ahead and read that. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Pray with me one more time. God, we thank you for this morning, this early morning. um, But it's good to be in your house with your people. Um, God, we pray that you will soften our hearts this morning to hear what you have to to share with us today. Um, God, I pray that you will speak through me, that you will not let me get in the way, but that you will speak clearly to your people this morning by, by the power of your word and through your spirit. God, we love you and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Um, so the first word in this verse one is therefore. And as you probably know, the Harris rule of biblical interpretation is if you see the word therefore, you got to see what it's there for. Um, so we're going to look back a little bit at the context for this verse. Um, and we're not going to go very far. Chapter 11 sets up perfectly exactly what this verse is about. Um, the whole chapter, we won't read the whole thing. I'll kind of give you a brief overview of it. But Chapter 11 basically gives us a beautiful um, historical theology of the Old Testament and all of the people in the Old Testament who um, just lived great lives of faith. Um, And you're probably very familiar with a lot of them. We see in verse 4, Abel, Cain and Abel, Abel gave an offering, and it was better than his brothers because he gave it with a heart um, that sought after the Lord. He gave it with a heart of faith, um, and he was killed for that by his brother. Um, And then... Verse 5, we see Enoch, um, by faith, he was taken up to heaven without dying because he was just, um, I mean, I think that's one of the very few instances in Scripture where someone goes to heaven without dying, but he did that because of his faith. Um, God took him because of his faith. Um, Verse 7, we see that it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from from the flood. Um, Honestly, that's a very big picture of faith for me. I mean, I know that if someone asked me to build a boat, if God asked me to build a boat and there wasn't even any rain on the forecast, it'd be hard for me to obey that. But Noah did that with faith. Um, and it was by his faith that Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Um, and then verse eight, we see that it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. And then Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Um, As you probably know, Abraham was the father of our faith, one of the the many fathers of our faith. But he was the, the man that God made a covenant with to give us a great inheritance and um, ultimately give him an offspring um, who would be Jesus to save, to save all, of, all of his people. Um, and then in verse 11, we see Sarah, Abraham's wife. It was by faith that she was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. Um, and she believed that God would keep his promise. Um, 
I think that's beautiful as well. Sarah was, she was old and she was barren. She'd never had a child before, but God had promised Abraham and Sarah that he would give them a child. Um, and by faith, they believed that God would keep his promise. Um, and in verse 12, and so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Um, and we are direct descendants of Abraham of that promise, which I think is amazing that we are a result of Abraham and Sarah's faith. Um, and then verse 13 um, kind of gives a little recap of all these people. It says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads on the earth. And obviously people who say, say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. Um, if they had longed for their country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Um, all these people, they believed God's promises. They believed that God would bring true to his promise and fulfill what he told them would come true. Um, they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. Uh, and then skip down to verse 24. We see Moses, another familiar name, likely. Um, and it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. And it was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. And it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. Another great example of, of God's people having the faith that God would fulfill his promise. Um, I'm going to look back to uh, verse 26. Uh, it says, Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. I think that's really interesting that it says that Moses was, saw it better to suffer for the sake of Christ because Christ had not come yet. I mean, that was just a picture of Moses looking forward to the promise that God had given him um, and to the promise of Christ to come and fulfill God's promise. Um, just such powerful examples of faith that we see throughout Scripture. I mean, it's all laid right here in chapter 11 of Hebrews. But then the very last two verses of chapter 11 really set up verses 1 and 2 in chapter 12 so beautifully. Um, 39 says, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Um, none of them received all that God had promised. Um, and it's just, the fact is that God had something better in mind. Um, he didn't want them to um, see the fulfillment of his promise because he had a perfect time, a perfect plan, and that would come and be fulfilled at the right time. Um, he had something better in mind for us. Um, but the difference between all these men and women is that they were looking forward to the promise that God had made, looking forward to the fulfillment of his promise. Um, but the difference between them and us is that we're looking back, to, and we already know that God already kept his promise and fulfilled it in Christ. Um, 
And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 12. Um, But I want to ask you a question. What is faith? We hear it a lot at church. We talk a lot about it. But but what is it? You can answer, please. What is faith? Yeah, something you cannot see. Um, yeah, that's perfect. Um, it's actually exactly what I was going to say. Um, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, um, it actually answers that question for us. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the confidence that we hope for will actually happen. Confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. Um, and obviously, in the case of all these men and women in chapter 11, but also in the case of, of our own lives as, as followers of Jesus, is that we have hope that what will actually happen will happen because God is a promise keeper. He makes promises and he keeps them, um, and we can trust his promises. Um, In other words, faith is confident and sure that what is hoped for will be given, um, that what has been promised will come true. Um, So faith is just basically looking forward to something that you can't see, that you haven't seen yet, or that you are hoping for um, and knowing that that it will be true. Um, So that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, um, that's such an interesting picture to me. Um, And as we'll see later in this verse, it's kind of the picture of a a big arena um, at at a race. And back in in the time of of Scripture, of the New Testament, um, the Olympics were starting to to come about. Um, Not necessarily the Olympics, but foot races and athletics and that kind of thing. And so, so the author of Hebrews paints this picture of, of a race and an arena of people crowded around watching. Um, but the people in the arena are all these people in chapter 11 who we've seen have lived beautiful lives of faith and are now watching us live our lives of faith, run our race of faith, as the author um, paints the metaphor. I mean, I think that's just such an interesting Interesting thing. I also think it's interesting that in verse 1, the author calls it a huge crowd of witnesses. Um, in the original language, the Greek language, um, the word witness can also be translated to testimony or like testify. And I think that's really important because in verse 1, we see that it's a huge crowd of witnesses. And my immediate thought is, oh, these people are watching us run our race, um, which is probably true. Um, they're watching from heaven, watching with the Lord. Um, but I think it's also kind of a play on words to also mean to bear witness. Um, Their their lives are testimonies for us to look to and follow as examples. Um, Their lives are in this arena watching us, but we can look to them knowing that their lives were examples for us to follow. Their lives were um, for us to witness as their testimony. Um, And I think that's really important because it reminds us that we're not alone. Uh, we're not alone in this race. There are many people who have gone before us, and we see them all in chapter 11. Um, I think that's such an important thing to remember because, honestly, the race of faith is hard. Um, living a Christian life is hard. Um, and many of these heroes of our faith in chapter 11, um, they suffered. I mean, some of them were killed for their faith. Many of them, um, well, none of them saw the fulfillment of the promise, but they kept looking forward and hoping for it. Um, I think that's just such an interesting thing. Um, In verse 35 of chapter 11, it says, Women received their loved ones back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. 
They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Um, I just think that's such a a hard thing to think about is just that this life, this race that we're running is hard. We're going to suffer. We see all these other people who have suffered before us, but the fact of the matter is we have all of these beautiful examples of faith because it's an encouragement to us to know that we we might suffer, we will suffer, but we're not alone in our suffering. Then go on in verse 1, it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Um, so I ran cross-country in college and in high school. Uh, one of my friends in college, um, he probably weighed about 120 pounds um, soaking wet, so he was a pretty small guy. Um, but every year we'd come back for, for the season to start, and he would always say, yeah, I got to get back down to race weight. Um, and he wasn't a big guy. Like, he maybe gained a couple pounds over the, over the off-season. But he'd come back and he'd say, yeah, I got to get back down to race weight. And we always kind of looked at him like he was crazy, but we also understood what he was talking about. Um, And the point is, he wanted to get down to a weight where he had to carry less of a burden with him while he was racing. Um, And that's not an unfamiliar thing in, like, the world of athletics. Um, Wrestlers typically um, have to weigh in before they wrestle, um, and a lot of them will try to cut weight so they can race, or not race, so they can wrestle in a lower, a lighter weight class, um, just because it's an easier thing to, to wrestle against someone who weighs less than you. Just like in a race, it's easier to run if you have less weight weighing you down. Um, and it's this picture that the author gives us in verse 1 when he's talking about stripping off every weight that slows us down. Um, that's just such a, an interesting thing to me because he lays out two different things that we need to take off before we run this race of faith. Um, One of them is everything that slows us down, every weight that slows us down. And the second thing is sin. Um, I think that's really interesting because my first instinct when I'm thinking about running a a race of faith is, oh, like, yeah, just avoid sin and you'll be fine. But the author makes it very clear that there are two things that we have to take off. And one is sin, obviously, um, but the other is everything that weighs us down. And I think that's such an interesting thing, but it's also a good reminder that Sometimes there are good things that distract us from, from running the race that we need to run, from living a life of faith and looking to Jesus. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, um, Paul teaches us that, be, that just because something is permissible does not mean that it's good for us. Um, I'll go ahead and read that verse for you. Um, it says, you say that I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Um, I think that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is, is referring to right here. There are many things that are good. They might not be prohibited in Scripture. They not, not, might not be sin, but they might not exactly be helping us keep our eyes on Jesus as we run our race. Um, but then, like I said, he also teaches us that sin doesn't slow us down. Um, it trips us up. And I think that's really important. He's not saying take off sin so that you can run faster, so that it's not weighing you down. He says, take off sin so that you don't get tripped up. Um, I think that's a really important truth about sin. Um, It doesn't just weigh us down. It makes us fall flat on our face. Um, And there are some things that are going to distract us from looking to Jesus, but there are other things that are going to cause us just to fall flat on the ground because it's not good for us. It trips us up. It tangles us. Um, The English 
standard version of Hebrews, it actually says that um, it, the sin that clings close to us. Um, and I think of like when you jump into a pool with your t-shirt on and then you can't get your shirt off. Um, I think that's the picture that's painted right here when it talks about sin. Um, it's hard to take off, but it's necessary to take off because it trips you up, makes you fall on your face. Um, but it's absolutely necessary to take sin off, to take off all these good things that might be distracting us from looking to Jesus in order to run the race of faith that God has put before us. And then the last, the last part of verse one, it says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Um, I think it's really interesting that the author of Hebrews doesn't say, um, yeah, if you want to run this race, God has set it before you. Um, we have the option to run this race that God has set before us. It says, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Um, it's not an option. It's a command. Um, it's, a, it's an imperative in this, in this instance. Um, I don't think that's an accident. The author isn't just telling us that it's a suggestion to run with endurance this race. He's telling us that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to run this race and we have to do it with endurance because it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be painful, it's gonna, it's gonna be full of suffering, um, but it's absolutely necessary, it's imperative that we run this race. Um, John 16, 33, it says that, um, well, I guess Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says that in this world you will have, you will have suffering, you will have tribulation, um, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I think that's such a beautiful reminder that, yes, this race is filled with suffering. It requires great endurance. Faith requires perseverance. Um, faith requires perseverance. And as we run this race of faith, we are called to lay aside um, the things that are distracting us, the things that keep us from looking to Jesus, the things that are so appealing and tempting. Um, I know for me, it's so easy to run back to the things that are comfortable, the things that are tempting me to stay comfortable, the things that are, that are easy, but that's not, the, that's not the race that we've been called to run. That's not the race that the author of Hebrews describes. Uh, he describes a race that requires endurance, that requires perseverance, um, because God has set this race before us as followers of Jesus, as Christians, um, and it's absolutely necessary that we run this race, that we stay on course, that we look to Jesus to do that. Um, it's daunting, it's intimidating, but it's necessary. And then verse two, um, obviously we know that there's a race to run and the author kind of ends verse one with this command, like go run this race, it's gonna be hard, you need endurance, um, but you gotta do it. But a lot of times we get to that point where we're like, wow, well, what, what do I do? How do I do that? That sounds so hard. Um, but luckily, the author also tells us how we run this race. Um, and in verse 2, he makes it very clear. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It's impossible to complete this race on our own, to, to keep our faith um, looking to Jesus by ourselves. We can't do it by ourselves. Um, but the author makes it clear that Jesus is two things in this race for us. He's the champion who initiates our faith, and he's the perfecter of our faith. And I think that's really, really beautiful because we need both of those things. Um, so I think it's cool that he uses the word champion because he's talking about a race. And so the author says that Jesus is the champion who initiates our faith. 
um, what is a champion? Um, my immediate thought is like the, the winner of a race because that's what we're talking about here. Um, but a lot of times we also use the word champion to talk about like the first person to do something. I guess it's kind of the same thing. Um, the first person to cross the line of a race, the first person to um, do something to step on the moon, um, the first person to do something great. We call them the champion or a champion. And that's exactly who Jesus is for us. He's the first person who was able to cross the line, living a perfect life of faith. Um, and he was also um, the winner because he did it for us. He found the victory. He won the victory um, in his life of faith. But then the second thing, um, well, before I move on to the second thing, but um, the English Standard Version also uses the word founder. And I think that's an also, uh, also a great word to describe Jesus in this situation because when I think of a founder, I think of a, a new building, I think of a new, like a new organization, the founder of something great, the founder of something new. Um, and like I said, I think of a building sometimes. Uh, and right now my parents are redoing their back porch. And um, yesterday we were able to watch them lay the foundation for the patio. And um, I thought it was interesting that they laid the first stones at the corner of the patio by the house. Um, and the reason they do that is so that they can basically make sure that everything lines up with the house to make sure that it's exactly where it needs to be, make sure that the foundation is, is in a straight line, make sure that it lines up with the house and is able to last and endure, um, endure time, endure weathering and all of that. Um, I think that's really interesting because I think of that as the cornerstone, which is also something that Jesus is described as um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, Paul describes Jesus as the cornerstone of the foundation of the dwelling place for God by the Spirit, um, which is made up of the body of Christ. So that's all of us, the people who follow Jesus. We are the body of Christ, and Jesus is our cornerstone, making up the holy dwelling place of, of God's temple um, made up by us. Um, so I think that's just such a beautiful parallel between Ephesians and Hebrews. God has created, has made Jesus the cornerstone of his body of, of believers, but he's also made Jesus the, the first person to do that. That is the cornerstone, the first thing laid. And that's what we see in, in Hebrews chapter two, or chapter 12, verse two. Um, he says that Jesus is the champion, the founder of our faith. But then the second thing he calls Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. And I think that's also such an important thing because we cannot perfect our faith on our own. We need Jesus to perfect our faith. Um, and he has done that because he has already won the victory. He's already crossed the finish line of this race of faith. Um, and he is able to make our faith perfect because we cannot do that on our own. We can't run the race without Jesus, but he's already gone before us and done it. Um, and so the author's description of Jesus as the champion and the perfecter of our faith tells us that Jesus is both the one who initiates and completes our faith. So he, he gives us the power to start this race of faith. He gives us the power to have faith, the ability to have faith. But he also gives us the grace to complete the faith, um, to complete our race of faith because he has done it for us. He's given us the victory. And then the next section of this verse, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And my first thought is, how can the word joy be in the same sentence as enduring the cross and despising its shame? Because that seems like the complete opposite of joy to me. Um, and I've thought a lot about that this week, trying to figure out how can joy and enduring the cross and shame be in the same sentence? Um, 
But it's that word because, because of the joy. Um, it's not that, it's not that injuring the cross was a joyful thing or a, or an easy thing, but it's the fact that because he knew, because Jesus knew that there was joy waiting him at the end of it. He knew that there was joy waiting him as he endured the cross and as he disregarded its shame. Um, and he knew that there was something better, just like all of the, the names in chapter 11, they all knew that there was something better that they could look forward to. Same thing is true of Jesus. Um, even though Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise, he was also looking forward in faith to the, to the reward that God had for him um, at, the end of, at the end of the cross. Um, and so Jesus, he literally, he endured our shame, he endured our sin, our, um, yeah, our hardship on the cross because we couldn't do it. We are sinful, we are broken, and so it's impossible for us to live a life of faith, but it's also impossible for us to save ourselves, and we need a champion to come and do that for us, and we have that in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, he endured the cross, he was um, beaten, he was bruised, he was, he was put to shame, um, and he did that because he knew that there was great joy waiting for him, because he had fought the victory, he had won the victory, and he did that for us. And because of that, because knowing that he was going to step into great victory for our sake and for his sake, then he knew that there was joy waiting for him at the end of the cross, um, at the end of the race of, of, of faith. Um, I think that's just such a beautiful thing because he is our champion. He's our perfecter of faith. Um, and we can rest knowing that he is the one who has won the race for us. Um, and then the very last little section of this verse, it says, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And that's the, that's the very picture of, of the joy that God had waiting, or that Jesus had waiting for him at God's throne. Um, like I said, I ran cross country, and I remember at the end of every race, I would cross the finish line, I'd be sweaty, I'd be probably a little disoriented, um, a little confused because I was exhausted. But um, when you cross the finish line of a race, um, it's a little more like a war zone than, a, than like a happy, joyful place. I mean, people are falling to the ground, people are like throwing up, um, it's pretty awful. Um, but one thing that rings true for every single person who crosses that line is that their first instinct is like, man, I just wanna sit down, I want to lay down, I want to, I want to sit down, get on the ground somehow. Um, and I think that that's mostly out of exhaustion, but it's also out of a relief that you're done, uh, that you finished the race. Um, and whenever we see Jesus in scripture um, in heaven, uh, whenever after he died on the cross and rose and, was, and ascended into heaven, we see him uh, most of the time sitting at the right hand of God. Um, there are maybe one or two instances where we see Jesus standing, but most of the time he is sitting. Um, and I'm not the first person to, to notice this, but, um, but that's typically a picture of Jesus sitting down because he's finished. He's done what God sent him to, to do, and he's sitting in a place of honor, um, a place of honor at God's right hand, but he's also sitting because he has accomplished what he set out to do. He's sitting down because he, uh, he won the victory, and he's able to sit down and, and rest knowing that he did what we couldn't do on our behalf. Um, and because of that, our faith is going to require confidence, but we also know that our faith 
um, can have confidence because we have um, the champion of our faith who has made a way for us to have that confidence. Um, because living a life of faith is so difficult, um, it's really important that we have confidence in something greater than ourselves because we can't do it by ourselves. Um, so faith, it just, it requires confidence. Um, but it's also just a beautiful thing that we can have confidence because of Jesus. And so I want to flip back a few pages in Hebrews um, to chapter 2. So it's the beginning of the book. Um, the book of Hebrews is a, it's a beautiful picture of the whole book as a whole. It's just a beautiful picture of Jesus as the supreme God, um, the supreme king, the supreme Messiah, the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Um, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, it says, What we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into their salvation. That's who Jesus is for us. Jesus was, he is God. He's fully God. He's fully human. Um, he suffered death for us. And because of that, he is sitting at the right hand of God, crowned with glory and honor. And by God's grace, Jesus did that for us. He did that for you and for me because we couldn't do it for ourselves. Um, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader fit to bring them into our salvation. Um, Jesus doesn't, doesn't do that. Um, sorry, we don't do that on our own. Jesus brings us to the victory. He brings us to the end of our life of faith, to the end of this race, by his grace um, and through his suffering. Um, in his book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller um, he's a great pastor, a great theologian, but he says that it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Um, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of days I really struggle um, to, to keep my, my eyes looking to Jesus. Um, my faith is typically not very strong, um, I feel like this race is hard. Life is hard. Um, and I so often have a hard time looking, um, looking to Jesus, keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. I have a hard time not letting sin trip me and cause me to fall on my face. I have a hard time taking off the things that distract me and weigh me down. Um, but I'm so comforted to know that it's not my ability to have faith, my strength of my faith, in, um, in anything. It's, it's simply the, the one in whom my faith rests. Uh, I think that's such a comforting thing, and it's such a, an important thing as Christians to know that it's not up to us. Um, it's not our own strength that saves us, but it's the one in whom we put our faith. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us the grace to do that. God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you um, that he did what we could not and cannot do. We thank you that despite our sinfulness and our brokenness and despite how, um, 
fickle our hearts are and how easy it is for us to trip over our sin, that we have a, a perfect champion who finishes our race for us and gives us the victory and allows us to walk in grace um, into this victory, God. I pray that we will persevere in our faith and that we will have confidence in Jesus that allows us to do just that. God, I pray that, um, that we will allow you to soften our hearts and to give us the faith that we need to endure the suffering that this race will provide, but also that we have the confidence to look to Jesus to allow us to, to finish this race, God. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.